I want you to hit me as hard as you can. His name is often mentioned alongside the greats like Coppola, Scorsese, Lucas, and Spielberg. Brian De Palma rode that new wave of American cinema all the way to the top of the world. His biggest influences are Alfred Hitchcock and Jean-Luc Godard, and his work went on to influence that of Quentin Tarantino. This underrated genius explores the human condition through controversial characters and the sexiest of violence. This artist does not use paint, he splatters his cinematic canvas with bloody blood. Brian De Palma's rebellious nature helped create his colorful yet frantic style that perfectly embraces chaos and discomfort. And you know what? It's beautiful. And boy howdy does he sure love that split diopter shot. You know when the foreground and the background are in focus at the same time? That split diopter shot is kind of symbolic of his career. The hardcore fans of Brian De Palma are always looking forward in the foreground to what he's gonna do next, while also remembering his classics in the background, his past. It also represents how De Palma is kind of the link to new and old Hollywood. He likes to keep the past and the future in focus while he creates something entirely original, yet similar to the classic language of his cinematic forefathers. Watching a Brian De Palma movie can make you feel like you're trapped at Carrie's prom. He almost assaults us with his style, but most of us survive until the end credits. But have the end credits rolled on Brian De Palma's career? Sure, the guy pumped out a handful of classics back in the day, but recently his work hasn't lived up to his legendary name. Why is that? Does old age interfere with the creative process? Did the studio system of Hollywood steal his passion? Or did he have such an amazing early career that it would be like a mission impossible for a filmmaker to live up to? Or has Brian De Palma been kicking ass this entire time and I didn't notice? But basically what we really want to know is, what the f happened to Brian De Palma? About movies, I thought you wanted to know about movies. Yeah, movies are great, but I mean this is, this is like real life on the streets, you know? It's exciting. Before we begin, I just want to say thanks for watching, and please like, share, and subscribe. Also, click that bell to get those notifications if you're into this kind of stuff. Now, back to the show. But to truly understand what the f*** happened to Brian De Palma, we must begin at the beginning of the beginning began when he was born on his birthday. 1940, New Jersey. Young Brian claims that he grew up around a lot of blood because he was allowed to watch his surgeon father operate. And he gained experience behind the camera by secretly following his father around and recording him having extramarital affairs, which would later inspire him to make the film Dress to Kill. De Palma would show his unique style and dark humor in his early short films, which led to experimental features such as Murder a la Mode and Greetings with a very young Robert De Niro. It's a counterculture hippie comedy 
about Vietnam War draft dodgers, and it lacks any sense of a traditional narrative structure. It's kind of wild and silly, really embracing the flavor of the French New Wave, but you know, in America. Greetings would win the Silver Bear Award at the Berlin Film Festival, and this was followed by a semi-sequel called Hi Mom in 1970, and there was also a film called Wedding Party. During this time, Brian De Palma would make a name for himself as a documentary filmmaker, with films about the artsy-fartsy scene of that time, The Responsive Eye in 1966, and Dionysus in 69, which is his first time using a split screen, which we'll see a lot later. In 1970, Warner Brothers would hire him to direct their comedy, Get to Know Your Rabbit in 1972, starring Tommy Smothers and Orson Welles. Brian's first foyer into big studio filmmaking was not a successful one, as Tommy Smothers and Brian De Palma did not get along, resulting in Smothers going MIA for several days and refusing to return for reshoots. After seeing the first cut of the film, Get to Know Your Rabbit, the studio decided to bring on executive producer Peter Nielsen to recut the film. And De Palma says the experience soured him from the whole studio system right away. But he did start gaining more respect around Hollywood with darker, more experimental films such as the conjoined twin horror flick Sisters in 1972, which can only be described as Hitchcockian, and features great use of Brian De Palma's favorite split screen. As you know, it's a technique that Brian De Palma excels in. This was followed by a wild and crazy rock opera musical cult comedy, Phantom of the Paradise, and a neo-noir thriller called Obsession in 1976, which can only be called Hitchcockian. It's actually kind of an unofficial remake of Vertigo. <gasps> De Palma would have his first mainstream hit with one of the best Stephen King adaptations ever made, Carrie, in 1976. Hoping to continue the terrifying traditions of his idol Alfred Hitchcock, De Palma actually includes the classic Psycho violins, and it works really, really well and doesn't really feel like stealing. It's a self-aware homage. Brian De Palma says that after he read the book Carrie, he immediately started to think about how he would bring it to the big screen. And it wasn't easy, but he sure did. Carrie is a terrifying coming-of-age film that tackles sex and religion with a vengeance. A bloody vengeance. Brian De Palma was able to surprise the studio who had little faith in this flick by grossing nearly $34 million off a $1.8 million budget also earning Oscar nominations for its main actresses. The critics hailed Carrie as a masterpiece, and it's one of the best horror films ever made, with the film's blood-soaked finale going down in movie history as one of the best scenes ever filmed. And guess what? He uses split-screen there too. De Palma would go right back to the supernatural thriller genre, that proved so successful by making a Kurt Douglas movie called The Fury in 1978. Critics would appreciate the stylistic slow burn direction of De Palma, 
while others thought he was just repeating himself. However, one fan of the film was none other than one of De Palma's role models, Jean-Luc Godard, who featured it in his eight-part video essay project, Histoire du Cinéma, which is quite the honor. Brian De Palma had made films inspired by Jean-Luc Godard, and now Jean-Luc Godard is inspired by Brian De Palma. It's a beautiful thing. The Fury managed to make 24 million at the box office, but even though Jean-Luc Godard loves this thing, Brian De Palma himself doesn't seem to like the film very much. Oh well. Kurt Douglas and Brian De Palma would reunite in 1980 for the independent film Home Movies, which was basically just a big film school experiment. He would follow that up with a far more successful film, the erotic noir Hitchcockian thriller, Dress to Kill, which has so many similarities to Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho that some consider it an unofficial remake. Dress to Kill would turn out to be a solid hit, pulling in just under $32 million off a $6.5 million budget, and it would receive strong reviews, calling it stylish and exciting, and of course is considered a classic. However, proving how subjective film can be, De Palma was nominated for Worst Director at the Razzies, but was nominated for Best Director at the Saturn Awards. I'm so confused! Maybe these award ceremonies don't mean nothing. <laughs> then came one of the best movies about movies ever made, the John Travolta starring Blowout in 1981. And Blowout was influenced by Michelangelo Antonioni's Blow Up. I think film critic Gene Siskel said it best, calling this thriller more than a thriller. And he's right. Brian De Palma reinvents many genres at once. Part slasher film, part political thriller, part satire that makes statements about Hollywood and Washington DC, and Blowout perfectly captured the zeitgeist of that paranoid political conspiracy era, inspired by such events as the Ted Kennedy Chappaquiddick car crash, the investigation of the Zapruder film, and the Watergate scandal. De Palma was able to morph the energy and tension of that time into a well-crafted film. De Palma's direction allowed John Travolta to shine as an actor. And this film right here is why Quentin Tarantino cast him in Pulp Fiction. Brian De Palma's Blowout. I think it's one of the greatest movies ever made. It's Brian De Palma's finest film. But yeah, the editing style, the beautiful camera work, it has another De Palma trademark, the 360 pan, and he directed a haunting performance from John Lithgow. And the ending WTF. Blowout will blow your mind. It wasn't a commercial success, but who gives a f Then Brian De Palma would receive his second Razzie Award nomination for Worst Director for directing 1982's Scarface. Even though nowadays this is respected by cinema connoisseurs and gangster rappers alike, when Scarface was originally released, critics found the violence, profanity, and drug use very excessive and unpleasant. Many walked out of that famous chainsaw sequence, and Brian, being the rebel that he is, was able to slip an uncut version past the censors. 
But yeah, like I said before, this wasn't a huge hit at the time, but, you know, has become a pop cultural phenomenon. Stepping back into the erotic thriller territory, Brian De Palma's next film would get him his third Razzie nomination for another Hitchcockian thriller, Body Double, in 1984. This film was very, very controversial because of all of its graphic violence and sexual content. You know, a Brian De Palma movie. But over time, Body Double has, you know, gone down as kind of a classic. A controversial classic. But not everything Brian De Palma touched in 1984 was controversial. He would helm the classic Courtney Cox starring music video for Bruce Springsteen, Dancing in the Dark. That's right, Brian De Palma directed the music video for Dancing in the Dark. They should have locked the doors and threw Carrie in there. In 1986, we would see Brian De Palma go back to his comedy roots with the film Wise Guys, starring Danny DeVito. Wise Guys was a box office catastrophe, pulling in just $8.4 off a $13 million budget. Critics didn't really like it, but it's fun. It's just different from his other films. Of course, in true Brian De Palma fashion, he would follow up a bomb with a classic. And in 1987, he would bring us The Untouchables, directing the great Sean Connery with an Oscar-winning performance. The Untouchables has been heavily criticized for the liberties it took in translating true-life events to the big screen, but whatever, it's still cool. It's just not, you know, true. Robert De Niro was Brian De Palma's first choice to play gangster Al Capone, you know, because the two started their careers together. Robert De Niro went full method on this one, gaining weight, even wearing Al Capone's style of underwear. He was so dedicated to the part, but not dedicated enough to learn his lines, so Brian De Palma really had to work with him there. The Untouchables received overwhelmingly positive reviews, calling it vulgar yet breathtakingly beautiful, which kind of sums up Brian De Palma's whole career. Audiences showed up to a tune of 76 million at the box office from a $25 million budget, and that famous staircase shootout sequence is an obvious homage to 1925's Battleship Potemkin. And in the hands of any other filmmaker, this might have come off as, you know, a cheap ripoff, but no. This auteur and film historian director is perfectly letting us know that he loves movies too and acknowledges the titans before him. De Palma would finish out the 1980s with a film called Casualties of War. The screenwriter of this war film has since disassociated himself from this movie saying that De Palma was not faithful to his script However, Quentin Tarantino, De Palma's biggest fan, has hailed this film as the greatest film about the Vietnam War. And there's a lot of great films out there about the Vietnam War, so, you know, that's saying something. Casualties of War is truly a powerful and heartbreaking film, and De Palma gets the best performances out of Sean Penn and Michael J. Fox. Even though these two actors hated each other on set, Brian De Palma was able to use that real-life hatred to enhance the performances, like a pro. What Filmmaker Paul Thomas Anderson basically fell in love with John C. Riley after seeing this film, 
and went on to cast him in Like Everything. So yeah, there you go, another example of Brian De Palma's work inspiring the next generation of great filmmakers. Yes, sir. Yes. But then, in 1990, we would see Brian De Palma receive his next Razzie nomination for Worst Director with the Tom Hanks starring adaptation of Bonfire of the Vanities. This infamous bomb cost $47 million to produce, but only managed to make like $15.5 million at the box office, with critics calling De Palma a buffoon and saying that the film lacked any depth. In hindsight, De Palma recognizes that the film heavily deviates from the book. The book was better. Quentin Tarantino said it best when he perfectly described Bonfire by calling it a mess that only a great filmmaker makes. Hacks never go that far wrong. A talented guy who just had the wrong idea. Which can be said about a lot of Brian De Palma's, you know, less than classic creations. Even when he fails, you can tell it's a genius at work. His next three films would be solid moneymakers. First up was Raising Cain in 1992, where he would be nominated for the Golden Lion Award at the Venice Film Festival, and the film would pull in $37 million off a $12 million budget. Brian masterfully directs John Lithgow again as he pulls off multiple characters in this chilling thriller. A chiller. He would follow that up by reuniting with Scarface in 1993's crime drama Carlito's Way. Critics loved the style of this gangster flick, and Carlito's Way would be seen as a major comeback for this director. You can tell that there's a veteran who knows what he's doing sitting in the director's seat of this one, and this features one of De Palma's favorite camera moves, the mighty 360 pan, and a glorious, suspenseful long take at a train station. Brian is actually very proud of his work on this film. He says that he can't do any better than this. And after that, he would helm the biggest hit of his career, launching a cinematic franchise that continues to grow to this day. Mission Impossible in 1996. De Palma was so excited to be working with a star of Tom Cruise's caliber and he really, really wanted to prove to the world that he could make a big blockbuster hit. And in the hands of De Palma and Cruz, that mission was totally possible. This action thriller would begin production without a finished script, allowing De Palma to design many of the action set pieces himself on the spot. Critics found Mission Impossible 1 to be quite the spectacle to look at, but was very thin on plot. However, audiences didn't care, they just ate this up, giving it nearly $460 million worldwide off an $80 million budget. The Mission Impossible franchise has grown in popularity since, yet De Palma was one and done, as it was reported that him and Tom Cruise didn't exactly get along while making this movie. But that helicopter train sequence? Wowzers. You know, action movies don't get better than that. His next film would be a quite excellent Nicolas Cage picture, a Rashomon-style thriller called Snake Eyes. 
which features an incredibly long steady cam shot that seems to go on for like 15 minutes and it really sets up, you know, the world and the mood and the characters. It's perfect Brian De Palma. Snake Eyes would go on to make nearly 104 million at the box office, yet critics ultimately found this whodunit to be a hollow endeavor. Whatever, it's pretty good. Then came the new millennium, the year 2000, and De Palma would take a trip to space with Mission to Mars, which critics did not enjoy at all, saying that it lacked any semblance of Brian De Palma's style, resulting in yet another Razzie nomination. All in all, Mission to Mars was just a film that was too big for its own good, and De Palma hated every aspect of making this space epic. He especially hated the time-consuming post-production CGI process. It made Brian De Palma go absolutely mad. Mission to Mars would pull in 111 million worldwide, but with a 100 million dollar budget, it was ultimately deemed a bomb. It has some interesting ideas, but you know. Since then, De Palma has remained relatively quiet. He would direct the 2002 film Femme Fatale that featured many of his usual interesting Brian De Palma techniques, but would ultimately receive several nominations at the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards. And this was followed by the disappointing crime film The Black Dahlia in 2006, which, you know, on paper, a Brian De Palma Black Dahlia film, it was a surefire hit but this movie would receive a D-plus cinema score. At least the camera work is interesting. His next film would be a spiritual sequel to Casualties of War, with the 2007 film Redacted, that one critic claimed could be the worst movie he's ever seen. Wow, that's harsh. In 2012, he would return to erotic thrillers, with the Rachel McAdams film Passion, that every critic everywhere pretty much said that this one failed to live up to Brian De Palma's previous efforts. It lacked the soul and the energy of his early stuff. And last, but certainly not least, well, actually, maybe least, was the 2019 direct-to-video thriller Domino, that De Palma has since disowned, saying that working on this film was the worst experience he's ever had on a production, and that he was kept out of the editing process entirely. So it's like not even his movie. The Domino's seemed to collapse on the domino. Brian De Palma has had a very up-and-down career. His disappointment in the artlessness of the studio system created opportunities to make films that he wants, and to make a few films that he didn't want. You know, up and down. The inevitable progress of time and aging of a human being often affects the quality of a filmmaker's work. I'm sorry, but you know, it's pretty much true. Even De Palma himself will admit that the film community usually appreciates the work of a director's earlier career more than their later stuff. And we can just hope that that later stuff doesn't get so bad that it ruins the amazing earlier stuff. But you know what? Any filmmaker would be lucky to make just one movie that lives up to the test of time, that makes their mark on the pop culture, you know? And Brian De Palma has made quite a few. Carrie, Dressed to Kill, 
Blowout, Scarface, The Untouchables, Casualties of War, Carlito's Way, Mission Impossible The First Mission. Hell, even Snake Eyes is a pretty badass flick. And good old Brian seems to still have some gas left in his tank. Some expensive fucking gas. The guy is working on two upcoming films. A murder mystery called Sweet Vengeance, and something called Catch and Kill, which has been described as a horror film about a predatory movie mogul. Yeah, basically a Harvey Weinstein horror movie. Why the fuck not? Brian De Palma grew up in a time when the director's vision was the most important priority of the film. And I'm not sure that's the case anymore. And that shift in the industry has caused this type of filmmaker to become somewhat of an endangered species. But even with the studio troubles and the changing times, nothing seems to stop De Palma. Especially accusations of sensationalizing violence and sexism, that stuff never fazed him. Brian simply brushes it off, sometimes replying to the accusations by saying, that's what happens in the types of films I make. He never let the critics or the studio or society censor his work. He always found a way around it. And you know what? If the subject matter of a Brian De Palma movie is too much for your puny mind, then don't watch them. But some of them are really good, so yeah, y'all should actually watch them, yeah. Uh, I'm not particularly interested in what the establishment thinks is good, because uh, I don't agree with them. The man is such a respected filmmaker that in 2015, Noah Baumbach and Jake Paltrow would make a highly successful documentary on the director, titled De Palma, where the legendary director sat down and analyzed his entire career. Kind of like what I just did, but, you know, better. Our buddy Brian has been disillusioned with the studio system nearly his entire career, but he says taking that mission to Mars was the straw that broke this rebellious camel's back. But Brian De Palma is a legend through and through, and it will take more than the entire planet of Mars to destroy his legacy. That mission is truly impossible. So nobody should give a fuck about what the fuck happened to filmmaker Brian De Palma, because you know what? He's doing just fine.